All right, Revelation chapter 22, and uh, we will begin in verse 6 and read to the end, and we'll see how far we get into it tonight. Maybe we'll finish it, maybe we won't. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Zach, how did Chad do on his first night back? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, good news so far. Amen. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 22, start in verse 6. It says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, or some of your versions may say, who do His commandments. So we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there, the difference in the translation. So that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. Now I want you to, um, to look back with me, if you would, for just a second at Revelation chapter 1. Because basically what we have happening here is he closes this book the exact same way he opened it. So basically, he opened the book up and he tells you the purpose of why he wrote it and what will be the consequences and the, um, the blessings of reading this book and following the words of this book. And then he does the same thing at the end of the chapter. So it's very important that, that you understand that 
He doesn't want you to just read this book just for knowledge. He wants you to understand that there is a purpose for why God gave this book and what it is for us. So in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, notice and hold your place in 22 because we're going to flip back there, back and forth for a minute, okay? So Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, look at what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing about this book. This is the reason why it's called Revelation. Because God gives John a revelation, an unveiling, if you will, of Jesus in His current form, where He's at, what He's doing right now, and when, what it's going to look like when He comes back. And so that's what the book of Revelation is about. When you read it, you see that in the first three chapters... We see a picture of Jesus in His glorified form and He's walking through the churches, inspecting the churches. And so we get an idea of what Jesus, the unveiling of where Jesus is right now, what Jesus is doing right now. And ultimately, He is going through the churches, all the churches, and He is performing inspections. And He is leading and guiding and showing what needs to be changed and what needs to be corrected and the things that are not... That, that are good and the things that you need to be commended for and the things you need to be condemned for. And that's what you read in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. All right, And then in chapter 4 uh, through chapter 20, I guess it is, 19 or 20, we get the picture of what the times are going to be like right before His return. As He, he Himself sits on the throne and opens the seals and He commands the judgments of God to come forth. And so we get a picture of what that's going to look like. But go back again to Revelation 1.1. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him. Talking about John here. God gave John this revelation. And why did He give it to him? Because He wanted His servants to see the things that must take place when? Soon. And we'll see that. Well, you see that right there in that verse, that must soon take place. So in other words, there is going to be all of these events that we see that are going to be here soon. And I know a lot of people look at it and say, well, it's been 2,000 years. Well, Peter addressed that because there were scoffers back then who were saying, it's been 60 years or it's been 90 years. And Peter said, yeah. But you're forgetting one thing. A thousand years to God is like what? One day. And one day as unto a thousand years. And so for God, how many days has it been? Two days. You know, honestly. Uh, you know, when you, and basically, basically Peter is letting us know that in the grand scheme of things, we see things according to seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years, so on. But when God looks at something, God sees a thing from its beginning all the way to its end in an instant. He, he exists outside of His creation of time. Now, that's something that our finite minds can't, can't comprehend because all we know is the creation. We don't know anything outside of creation. This is what we know. Uh, we don't understand anything else outside of this. But these things are going to take place soon. And then notice in verse 1 of Revelation 1, He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John. Now, flip back over to Revelation 22. Hold your place in Revelation 1. And look at verse 6. 
So after he lays out all the things that are going to take place soon, after he lays out the revelation of Jesus Christ, he closes out the book with the same purpose. And notice what he says in verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. In other words, everything that has been said about the coming judgment, about the way it's going to take place, can we take it to the bank? You can take it to the bank. It will happen exactly as he said. And then he says here, again in verse 22, they are trustworthy and true when we look at the eternal state and what the way things are going to look like in heaven and all the things that he's just described to us in 21. Because when we look at that, it's beyond our capacity to understand. And he says to us, all of these words from start to finish in this revelation are trustworthy and they are true. And then notice what he says next. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must take place soon. So again, all He's doing here is He's got His purpose on the front end and on the back end as book, uh, bookends, I guess you could say, um, so that everything in the middle, you understand, this is the purpose behind it. God wants His servants to know this is the kind of judgment that is coming. God wants His servants to know this is the kind of reward that can be expected from the ones that trust Him and put their faith in Him. God wants His servants to know these, this, this is what the consequence is going to be or the end result is going to be of those that are judged without putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He wants His servants to know the things that must take place soon. And then look at verse 7 of chapter 22. And behold... I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So another reason he wants us to know this is because there are instructions for us to follow in this book. When you go back, if you want to go home and read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 and the way he addresses the churches, there are instructions for us as a church to keep that we should continue doing this or we should get back to doing this or we should quit doing this. And so he gives us instruction to this. And he says, for those that keep the words of the prophecy of this book, there's a blessing in it. There's a blessing in it. Now go back to Revelation chapter 1. And let's look at verse 3. And look what he says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. So there's a blessing in just reading it. <laughs> there's, and notice he said reads aloud. Why is that? Because God wants people to hear this, right? God don't want just His servants to hear it. He wants His servants to get it and read it aloud so that the world can hear the judgment that is going to come. The world can see the reward of those who put their faith and trust in Him. So there's a blessing in just reading it out loud. And then look what else he says in verse 3 of chapter 1. And blessed are those who hear. So there's a blessing in not only just reading it loud, there's a blessing for the people that hear this book. Because what if when they hear it, they put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ? Or what if they hear it and they don't? They'll stand before God one day and God will be able to look at them and say, You knew. You knew what was coming. 
You heard exactly what was coming, but you didn't believe. Your own unbelief is what led to where you are right now. So again, there is a blessing in, in being able for either us or for God to, uh, for, for hearing these words. And then notice he says lastly, and there's a blessing for those who keep what is written in it. Why? The time is near. The time is near. In other words, the time of reward for us serving Him, it's coming. It's, it's coming soon. And so the time is near and there is a blessing in keeping the words of the prophecy of this book. Now again, go back with me to uh, Revelation chapter 22 because I just want you to see that basically all he's doing here is he's closing this book out. He's done for the most part of all of the revelation of Jesus. He's done of the, of the revelation of the coming judgment and how Jesus unleashes that. He's done with Jesus' second coming and how He destroys all evil. He's done with the millennial kingdom and showing you what it looked like. He's done with the eternal state in, in heaven and the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and what all that looks like both inside of it, outside of it, uh, all around it. Uh, he, he has given you a revelation of what it means to either be under the judgment of Jesus Christ or be under the blessing of Jesus Christ, one of the two. Now he comes back and he says, here's my purpose behind it. I want my servants to see the things that must take place soon. I want you to know it. I want you to see it. I want you to understand it. And so then in verse 8, notice what he says next. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard them and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Now, let's just be honest. We have seen angels in this book. I don't know if you remember or not, but there was one section where the Bible says that an angel put one foot on the sea and one foot on the land and said with a loud voice, this is it. And so... When you see these kind of angels, these massive creatures, um, the Bible talks about men quaking at the sight of angels. Um, angels are magnificent beings. So you can kind of understand John here when he gets this revelation from him. His natural reaction is, this thing is far greater than I am, as far as in his view, right? And so John's natural reaction is, when I heard these things, when I saw these visions that the angel showed me, I fell down on my face and I worshiped. But then look what happens next in verse 9. But he said to me, you must not do that. And notice there's an exclamation mark beside of it. Now I want you to think for just a second. This is an angel that was likely in heaven with Lucifer when Lucifer demanded worship. And he saw what happened when Lucifer wanted people to worship him. More than likely, this angel is going, no, 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 get, get up, do not do this. I mean, do you think I'm stretching it? I don't think I'm stretching it. I don't think I'm stretching it. I really feel like that that's, that's part of what we're dealing here is this angel understands that as magnificent as he is, as great a being as this angel is, as powerful as this angel is, he realizes that in comparison to the one who is worthy of worship, you better get up. I don't deserve no worship. 
the greatest angel that this angel has ever seen was Lucifer. He was the most magnificent of all of God's creation. And yet, even, even Lucifer did not deserve worship. And so this angel understands, I don't deserve no worship. I, instead, look what his explanation is next. He says, I am a fellow what? Servant. Servant. You know, this is a great speech of humility right here for people like you and me. Because we think we deserve worship. Oh, you don't, you don't act like it. But let me tell you something. You don't see yourself as a servant for the most part. Because you let somebody treat you like a servant. And how do you respond? In pride, right? The way you'll know how much of a servant you really are is how you respond when somebody treats you like a servant. Because the truth of the matter is, this angel understands he's nothing more than a servant of the Almighty God. And not only that, but look what he says. I am a fellow servant with who? With you. This is a magnificent being that, like I said, we've seen him put one foot that covered the sea and one foot that covered the land, and yet he looks at this tiny little ant down here and says, I'm nothing more than a fellow servant with you. That is wild. That is wild. And then look what he says next. And not only that, with you and also your brothers, the prophets, they were servants of God, proclaiming the word of God. This angel ain't doing nothing more than the servants have done. This angel is doing nothing more than what John is doing as he writes this book and gives it to people. This angel is doing nothing more than what I'm doing right now as I try to teach this book to you and I try to present it to you. And so he says, I, I'm just a servant. That's it. And, and, and this is such a, a, a statement and a view of humility right here. But he says, and not only with the prophets, but also with all those who keep the words of this book. And then he says something. Worship God. The only one worthy of worship, right? Now this is an important statement too. Because... There are a lot of people that will tell you today that Jesus is not God. There are a lot of faiths today that will tell you that Jesus was a man that God created and that He was uh, the, the best of God's creation, the beginning of God's creation, and so ultimately He's not God. But let me show you some scriptures to show you why this verse, this verse that we just read where the angel said, Don't worship me. Worship God. That verse is just one of many that will prove the deity of Jesus. Because according to this angel, there is only one that deserves worship, right? And who is that? God alone. Alright, well let's look at a few things. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 1. We'll start in verse 4. And it's talking about Jesus as a man when He humbled Himself and He left the glory of heaven and He came down and, and He became God in the flesh. But notice what He did in the flesh in verse 4 of Hebrews 1. Having become as much superior to the angels... See, there are, some, there are some faiths that teach that Jesus was an angel. 
Actually, there are some faiths that teach that Jesus was Michael the archangel that God sent to become a man. All right? That Jesus is actually Lucifer's brother. There are faiths that teach that today. All right? And so, notice what he says. The writer of Hebrews wants to understand that Jesus is... How does Jesus compare to, to angels in verse 4? So much superior... Why? Because the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then look at verse 5. For to which of the angels... So here we're getting into um, an explanation of why Jesus is superior to even angels. Alright? Angels, magnificent beings. Far superior. But look what he says next. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. What's the answer to that? Which of the angels did he ever say that? None. All right, keep going with me. Or again, to which of the angels did God say, I will be, a father to, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son? What's the answer to that? None. All right, verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels do what? So... If the angel tells John, don't you worship me, you get up. I mean, get up, don't do that. I'm just a fellow servant with you. But then God tells all the angels, when Jesus is born in the flesh, y'all worship Him. What does that tell you about who Jesus is? Jesus is God. You have, and God is a, God is a term that encompasses the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me show you a scripture on that. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And it's, it's not really on that, but it'll kind of... I think you'll see what I'm talking about here. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And again, we're talking about Jesus here. And notice what this says. For in Jesus... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, the whole fullness of deity dwells in Jesus bodily. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it all dwells. God dwells in Jesus in bodily form. All right? That's what the Bible teaches us to understand. So again, Jesus is God. Why is He God? Because... God told the angels, He's the one you worship. According to the angels, there's only one worthy of worship. God, alright? Look at another scripture with me. Go to John chapter 20. The Gospel of John chapter 20. Verse 27 through 28. You know this story, it's Doubting Thomas, I won't believe unless I put my hands in the holes in his hands, the scars in his side, I will not believe. And then look what happens in verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, and what do you call him? My Lord, my God, 
And look at verse 29. So now if Jesus had not been God, would, there not, would this not been a good time just like the angel to have said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't call me that. Don't worship me. Worship God. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus gives no rebuke, right? But instead, look what he says in verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In other words, he affirmed that what you believe about me is true. It's right. I am your Lord and I am your God. And so there are many other scriptures that I could take you to to show you that, but the point being is that whenever we look at that scripture where the angel says very plainly, Do not worship me. Get up, worship God and God alone. That's pretty serious, right? And yet, all the other scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus receives worship or where God commands the angels to worship Him, and you want to tell me that Jesus is not God in the flesh? I'm sorry. Everything else backs up the fact that Jesus is indeed our Lord and our God. That's who He is. All right? And so that's, a, that's very relevant. That's very important, I believe, to pick up in that. But in verse 10 of Revelation chapter 22, notice what He says next. And He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. But instead, let the evildoer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy, and let the righteous still do right, and let the holy still be holy. Now that's a little confusing, alright? But we're, we're going to pick out, we're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Remember, that's one of the best methods that we can use when it comes to trying to figure out what he's saying here. And so we're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So I want you to look with me at Daniel chapter 12. Because Daniel received the same message that John received. It was an end times message. And so go with me to Daniel chapter 12. And I want you to notice the way Daniel's book ends. Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. It says... And he said, go your way, Daniel. And this is the angel talking to Daniel too, okay? He says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. And then notice what he said. So I want you to think about that. And you can look at them in parallel. You can look at Daniel and Revelation chapter 22 verse 11 in, in parallel. But I want you to notice that Daniel, when he receives the same message, God tells him or the angel tells him, Seal it up until the time is here. Seal it up until the end time. Now you also might remember when I taught from um, Isaiah chapter 8, I believe it was. When I taught from Isaiah chapter 8, all that God was given Isaiah, God told Isaiah, seal up the teaching. Seal it up until 
The time comes when it comes to pass and the people come to you and they want to know what direction do we go, what do we do? And you tell them to the teaching, to the testimony. And ultimately, God predicts all that we're studying in Isaiah over a hundred years before it actually takes place. But every bit of it takes place exactly as Isaiah predicted it a hundred years earlier. And so the point was this, God gives it to Isaiah to warn the people what's coming, but then the, the teaching is to be sealed up because they're not going to listen. Remember, their hearts are going to be hardened, their ears are going to be deafened, their eyes are going to be blinded, they're not going to hear it. So he says, seal the teaching up until the events start happening and then we're going to open this thing up and they'll come and you'll give them the teaching. Well, in Daniel chapter 12, the same thing happened. Daniel received the vision and God tells him, seal it up until the end time. And then look at verse 10. He explains something to him. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. You see how close that is to what John said? John said in the, in the back back there, he said, Let the wicked do what? Keep being wicked. Let the holy keep being holy. Let the righteous keep being righteous. So again, the point that he's saying is this. The words of the prophecy of this book, they're going to be spoken at the appropriate time. But until then, the wicked, they're still going to be wicked. The righteous, they're still going to be righteous. The holy are still going to be holy. But... The ones who will hear the word of this book and they will turn from their wickedness and become holy. He's not forbidden that. He's just saying the same thing that he told Daniel back here in Daniel chapter 12. Now go back again to Revelation chapter 22 and look at verse, um, verse 10 and 11 again. Because notice what he said. Remember he told Daniel seal the words up until the time of the end. Right? Now notice what he tells John. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Why? The time is near. In other words, the time is close enough that it is time for people to start turning to the book and seeing what the testimony of the Lord teaches. And that's what we've been doing ever since Jesus came. Ever since John was given this revelation. We have been turning to the testimony to see what is going to come, what's going to happen, how's it going to happen, and how do we prepare, and how do we know that we're in the right place whenever, this, whenever these things take place. And so that's what he's saying right here. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. But, as far as the evildoers, they're still going to do evil. As far as the filthy, let them still be filthy. As far as the righteous, still do right, and the holy, still be holy. And so, in another place, if you go with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. Again, I like letting Scripture interpret Scripture, so I hope you don't ever mind us flipping to a bunch of different places. But um, I love to see how the Bible interprets itself. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 27. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 27. Because Ezekiel was also getting an apocalyptic vision, just like Daniel, just like, um, just like John was. 
And then in verse 27 about this vision, look what God told him. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So again, I believe that when you put all of these pieces together, what we've got is that when God gives a vision like this, a revelation like this, especially concerning the end times and the need for people to repent and turn to Jesus, then basically He's saying here, as far as the words of the prophecy of this this book, they're not sealed up. So if someone's going to continue to do evil, even though they, hear, they have the, the teaching of the Lord, the prophecy of the Lord, thus says the Lord, then you know what you do? Let them keep doing evil. In other words, I'm not really begging nobody. I'm giving you the words. I'm telling you this is the truth of God. You either believe it and you turn from it, or you keep doing evil. It's up to you. And then... The ones that have the prophecy of this book, if they live by it and they're holy and they're righteous, then let them keep doing that. You see what he's saying here? So that's, that's the point of it. Well, holy means to be set apart. They go hand in hand. Righteousness would be to have a right standing with God. Holiness would be to be set apart for the purpose of God. And so they go, they're tied together at the hip, but really they... they you could mean very similar. All right. And so back into verse 12 of Revelation 22. So here's what our response, uh, or here's what Jesus would respond to this Behold, I am coming soon, and I'm bringing my recompense, in other words, my payment for all the things that people have done, both good and bad. My recompense is coming with me to, to give the consequences of the actions of the evil and the reward of those who have followed me by faith and trusted me by faith. And so he says, I'm coming soon, and I'm bringing this with me to repay each one for what he has done. So Jesus' response to to this revelation, to the words of this prophecy is, this is coming when? Soon. Jesus, now remember, Jesus don't even know exactly when it's going to be. Only the Father knows is what Jesus said. But he knows that it's going to be soon. He knows that. And so he says here, I am coming soon. And I am bringing all of this judgment that you have read about in the prophecy of this book. It's coming with me. And I'm bringing all the reward that you have read about the end of this book. It's coming with me. When I come, you're going to experience one of the two. And so you better, if you're continuing to be evil you might want to listen to the words of this book. You see the, pr- the progression that he's doing right here? All right. And now notice what he says next in verse 13. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And now, you know, here's where we're tying back to the first of the book. So go, hold your place here. Go back with me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. Just hold your place in one because we're going to flip back and forth for just a minute. But notice what he says in Revelation 1 verse 8. Let's see what it means to be the Alpha and the Omega. 
Now remember, the Alpha and the Omega, what is that? Is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet, right? All right, so notice what he says in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. So who is the Alpha and the Omega? The Lord God, right? So again, who is Jesus? No question, all right? Now keep going with me. And then, how else do we define who the Alpha and Omega is? Who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So, I like to let Scripture interpret Scripture, and when we ask ourselves the question, who is, when He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, what does He mean? Well, according to this Scripture, He means, I am the Lord God. That's what it means to be the Alpha and the Omega. And, I am the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. What does that mean? I am that I am. That's exactly right. I exist. I existed before creation. I exist in creation. And I exist after creation. I am that I am. That's exactly what he meant when he told Moses, that's my name. So again, more and more evidence that Jesus is God. He's not some great angel who became flesh. He's not Satan's brother. He's not, um, he's not one of God's greatest creations. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the only one worthy of worship when it comes to... Now again, we, we're talking about God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son are all God is worthy of worship. But Jesus is God. All right, And now, go back with me. Hold your place in Revelation 1. Go back to Revelation 22, verse 12 again, or verse 13. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. We just saw what that means. Next he says, I am the first and the last. And now go with me to, back to Revelation 1 verse 17. And let's find out what it means to be the first and the last. Revelation 1 verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. So what does it mean in that context to be the first and the last? The living one. So it means life comes from Him. He's the first. He's the last. There, there is no life before Him. There is no life after Him. He is the living one. Notice what He says, how He proves it. What did He do in verse 18? I died. And then what happened? And behold, I'm alive forevermore. So again, what does it mean to be first and to be last? It means I am the one that gives life and I am the one from which all life comes. I am the one that, that, that takes life, and yet I'm the one that can die and still give life. And so the point being is that He is Lord God Almighty, the giver of life. And then He says, I have the keys of death and Hades. And this again was death being what 
takes life from us, Hades being the place that death keeps us hostage, the place of the dead. And so he says, I have the keys. So what does that mean when he says, I have the keys to death and Hades? I have the ability to unlock death. I have the ability to unlock the grave and the place of the death. I have the ability to give life. Why is that? I'm the living one. What does that mean? I'm the first. I'm the last. Y'all see that? So again, all he's doing is taking the titles from chapter 1 and he's just closing this back out, reminding you, this is who I am. These words are trustworthy and they are true. Why? Because this is who I am. This is who I am. I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. I'm the first. I'm the last. And then notice what he says next in Revelation 22 verse 13. I am the beginning and the end. Now let's see what he means with that. Look at Revelation 21 verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And so again, the beginning and the end here, he's talking about the one who gives the water of life. He's the one that, and we're just tying it all together here. Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and the end, really all mean the same thing. But it's about him being... The, the beginning of all things, the giver of life to all things, the one that has the power over all death and the grave, and the one who does this by giving life-giving water to all those who are thirsty. This is who He is, and this is who is the one that is coming soon, is bringing His recompense with me, the one that's going to repay each one for what He has done. This is who He is, all right? Y'all tracking with me? All right, now go down with me to... We don't have time. We're going to stop right there. Next week, I want you to do a little research. Uh, how many of you versions in here say, in verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes? All right. How many versions in here say, Blessed are those who do His commandments? Got a few, got a couple. Uh, the King James Version, I think the New King James Version, that's the way they translate it. So... If you want to start off next week, that's the way we'll start off. Why the different? Because that's a pretty big difference, right? Sounds, I mean, wash their robes, do His commandments. So let's figure out why the difference in the translation, and I'll explain it to you next week if you don't find anything, but just see what you can find on it, and then we will, we will pick it up from there.